Father, this evening we just thank you, Father. We come to you. We have gathered in your name. We have come to study, meditate on your word. The entrance of your word brings light every time. I pray, Father, even tonight, a little of the darkness in our minds, areas we are not unaware of your ways, your thoughts, that light will dispel those darkness. That when we leave this place, we will know you a little more better. Our Father, our God, the shepherd of our souls. That we know you a little more better when we leave from this place. So speak to us, Lord. Give us hearing ears, a single eye, and a believing heart. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen, amen. The first text for today is from the book of Daniel, the second part of that verse, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. Is it? Yeah. Let's leave the first part and this part, okay? The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Okay, this is the end time prophecy. If you specifically put, uh, given to Daniel thousands of years ago about those who know God. But let us generally look at it. And, uh, I'll read that again, but I want to look at three words in this second part of this verse. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits, okay? The key. This are the three stages. People that know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. Okay? You have to put these three together. We have to know, we have to be, and we have to do. They shall do exploits. These are the three stages of doing great things. We are called to great works. That is the works of Christ, the works of God, all of us. Because we serve a great God. Because the life we live is his life. We are called to great works. But to do these works, scripture says, people, they know their God. And therefore, they shall be strong. It is from the knowledge of our God that our strength comes. And it is from that strength that we do exploits. In John chapter 14 and verse 12, this is what Jesus told his disciples and to us. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, okay, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Okay. So scripture says, Daniel says, those who know their God. Jesus says, those who believe in him. Put it together, okay? It all begins, why Why do we gather? Why do we study the Bible? 
why do we sing the songs if you look at if you if you were watching carefully listening carefully to the lyrics of the songs that we sang the lyrics are all connected with the knowledge of god who god is we don't just don't randomly sing songs when you sing to your girlfriend you don't just randomly pick a song you pick a song because it has to convey some meaning in your heart to her something about her or something you want to tell her okay here when we sing the songs of god those songs are connected with who he is the attributes of god that's how our faith comes from hearing reading studying singing the people who know their god the problem is the question is do we know our god okay we need more than an idea of god we need the reality of god who is a person you can have an idea of god and there is this person of god because remember the days in which we are living it's a very dangerous shallow age because you cannot believe in a person you do not know and you cannot know a person you do not believe if you take a selfie say with me and post it it doesn't mean that you know me because there are a lot of ministries will talk about take a selfie with jesus that doesn't mean you know that person but we take selfies with celebrities and post it because we want others to think we know them when they have no clue who we are Remember, Jesus is telling a lot of people, Jesus said, on that day I will tell many, I never knew you. Though they claimed with their words that they knew him, on that day he said, I never knew you. So if you take a selfie, it doesn't mean you know that person. Or on Facebook or Twitter or any of these mediums, if you press like, that doesn't mean you like that person. You see how we get fooled with an idea and never participate in the reality. If you press follow, that doesn't mean you're following that person. This is what virtual reality does. It is just virtual. It is not real. And therefore we are getting our minds are getting conditioned to a very kind of shallow lifestyle. and we try to bring that into our relationship with god also and just be because we sing those songs and if the lyrics make no sense to us we don't know that god about whom we are singing okay that's what god is telling through daniel and jesus is telling us those who know and to know we need information we need knowledge that's what faith demands in hebrews 11 verse 6 scripture says anyone most ash without faith yeah it is impossible to please god you want to please god you need to have faith and faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of god without faith it is impossible because once you have faith you start pleasing god because faith itself is a sign you know something about him 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Must believe that he is. The question is, do we know who he is? None of us know him completely, but we should know something about him, who he is. Do we know how he does things? When you know a person, you also, like many of you know me, in the sense between like two to four, don't even try calling me. <laughs> Those who are laughing know that you will never get me to pick my phone. They know that's when I sleep. You call me at two in the morning, you'll get me. You call me at two in the afternoon, you may never get me. So you know something about a person's ways. Okay? If you do not know the ways of God, or if you know the ways of God, you get to know God. That's why Moses prays that prayer, Lord, teach me your ways. You see, people in the world and church, well, I'm meaning the church, have been fooled by the enemy, the devil, with appearances. Appearances always deny reality, often deny reality. And we also like appearances. That's why you're all appearing so good and so attentive. God alone knows where your mind is. We often act to be something which we are not. Many people in the world are not so much worried about having money. They want to look like they have money. If they were really concerned about having money, they would save it. But they actually want to look like they have money, so they spend it. They spend it on things which they don't actually require, but they spend it on these things so they have an appearance they have wealth. If they really wanted money, they would save it. And they would be very careful how they spend it. But the appearance is more important than the reality. Because we don't live our lives before God, we live our lives before people. People don't really want to be intellectual or informed. They only want to look intellectual or informed. If they want to be intellectual or informed, they would read the books they have instead of keeping it in the showcase. But you'll always see behind this, any most houses you go, this set of books. It's very embarrassing to ask them, have you read at least half of them? But then why? No, I don't read. Then why do you keep the books? Because you want to look intellectual and not actually be intellectual. That's the trap. The devil satisfies us with this appearance. And God is not satisfied with appearance. He's satisfied with who we really are, making us like him. God doesn't just pretend he's real. He's real. To the average Christian, it does not matter that he does not know God. As long as others think he knows God. 
That is King Saul. Remember King Saul when he is being disgraced in First Samuel. He said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please. Don't tell it too loudly. People will hear. Okay, I have sinned. Okay, honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And return with me that I may worship the Lord, your God. Your God, not my God. I don't know him. Just honor me. Just please don't expose me. You know, I know, I don't know God. Don't let it out. Just stand by me, prophet. Let people think, I know God. That's what God is talking about. When there is no real prayer life, when there is no word life, then there is no real knowledge of God. It's a life of pretense. Say, I don't want to pretend. You should stop pretending because God likes honesty first. Lord, I don't want to pretend. Do you want to be free or look free? Do you really want to be smart or look smart? If you want to be smart, you will have to work hard. If you want to look smart, all you have to do is forward something which somebody smart wrote. Right? Children don't have WhatsApp, so they are wondering what this is. But those who are on WhatsApp, no. That's what scripture is talking about. No, be, do. To know God, to have the knowledge of God, to have the knowledge of the ways of God. The first key is, I need knowledge, I need information. In Hosea 4, 6, God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. The first thing we need to do anything for God or in his name or even for him to do through us is we need knowledge. That's where the mind come in, comes in. Remember the past few weeks messages, the mind, the mind, the mind. The whole purpose of teaching. The whole purpose of gathering Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday for 10 years. Forget Sunday. Sunday can be a religion. Wednesday is not religion. Is that we may know about God and the ways of God. Because the whole process is connecting to becoming that person God wants you and me to be. That was what God was telling Joshua. You meditate upon my word day and night. You meditate upon it. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right. If you start thinking my thoughts, sooner or later, you will start doing my works. And when your thoughts and your works over a period of time consistently starts matching, that's what you, who you become. That's what you, who you become. That's what God is telling all of us. That's the why we put this above everything else. Our minds, our thoughts need to be defined by how God thinks. That's where it begins. That's how the gospel according to John begins. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The trap 
The lie of the devil, not a full lie, half lie of the devil is that if you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. But that is not from, from how you become like God. God wants us to be like him. He doesn't want us to be unlike him. He actually wants us to be like him. Not in terms of power, but in terms of character. And the only way we can be like him is by allowing this word to start taking over our thinking. Scripture will say in that same gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when the word took a body, it showed us how does God think, how does God work. How does God react to situations, terrible situations, good situations, death, Tragedy, sickness, storm, you name every facet of human experiences. How will God react in such a situation? Jesus showed. That's how we learn from the four gospels. This is how if a man were to have the mind of God and were to walk in this flesh, this is how he would react. To know is the beginning. It is to know. So you will see the Bible is a revelation of God's thoughts and how God works. So you study the Bible not memorizing scripture for scripture's sake. We are basically trying to understand how does my God think? How does he work? Even Jonah knew God. At least one facet of his character he knew God and he didn't like that part of it and his all his response You know the story of Jonah. The whole gamut of rebellion in his life is connected because he knew God. He was not rebelling because he did not know God. That is ignorance. He is rebelling because he knew God. And this is what he says in Jonah 4. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to God. You can pray angrily. This is an angry prayer. He said, Oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Isn't that what I told you? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know. What? You are a gracious God. I know you are a gracious God. A merciful God. Slow to anger. Abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. He knew his God. The message. See if we don't know our God. We will look at a message given and say. How can I preach this? What does it say? 40 days. And you will be no more. Now, he hates the people of Nineveh. He hates them with a perfect hatred. And the message is given, go to them and tell 40 days and Nineveh is no more. And he should have God, yep, I was waiting all my life for this message. I am going to give them. But he looked at the message and he knew the person who gave the message. He says, you know, I like, I, I know this message. But I also know the one who gives the message. If this message is effective and they start repenting, he will start having mercy on them. And I don't want God to show mercy to them. I don't want God. You see, we don't know the God. So when we read scripture, we'll say, ah, this is nice. This is what I want to preach. Because we don't understand him. Jonah knew his God. Jonah knew his God. Job knew his God. David knew his God. In Psalm 51, in spite of all the mess he makes, he knew his God. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. 
the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart these so god you will not despise in you in you he's a guy who knew god and he said lord this is what you require that is why because you cannot believe in somebody you do not know and you cannot know somebody you don't believe in you cannot serve a god you do not know you cannot follow a person you do not believe so the knowledge of god is the first step because that's where it works and in the knowledge of god you have to understand the full knowledge of god i'm not the complete knowledge of god but as you grow the both sides paul will say consider the kindness and the severity of god when you are under severe judgment of god you understand it and you don't fall under you also understand his kindness and when he is absolutely being kind to you you do not take advantage of him you also remember his severity balance it balance it how god functions it is the knowledge of god that actually helps us to be what we should be in any situation what does god want me to do how do we know because we have knowledge of god we know this is how god expects me to do because it is revealed let's look at three verses and then continue about god deuteronomy 30 verse 90 we have looked at this before i call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that i have said before you life and death blessing and cursing therefore choose life he says i have said before you life and death choose life that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the lord your god you may obey his voice that you may cling to him for he is your life he says i said before you blessing and curses life and death choose life and then he turns around and he says he is your life when i am choosing what god is telling me to choose i am choosing his life in john chapter 6 and verse 63 this is what jesus said it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing the words that i speak to you are spirit and they are life they are life they are life see why is this different from every other book because in this book you see the unity of god god is one and is consistent from revelation 1 sorry genesis 1 to revelation 22 21 he's consistent so you go through this and you understand you know what see if 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 god changes from sunday to saturday it's very difficult to know what he will do tomorrow that's the problem with multiplicity of gods no two gods are the same if you look at roman mythology greek um, babylonian egyptian any one of these ancient mythologies no two gods are the same so the people each pick their own god but with our god there's only one god and he's absolutely consistent in his ways and when he says i have revealed you to me through my word and through my spirit he says my words are life my words are life and every time we choose to think the way he thinks and therefore do the way he does things what we are choosing is we are choosing his life and he is literally living through us in john 17 and verse 3 this is what he actually says 
This is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is to know God. Eternal life is not to live forever and ever. It is to know God. Because you can live forever and ever in hell and never know God. Eternal life is to know God. And you start by knowing God, by understanding of God from what he has spoken and how he has dealt with different people in the Bible. You see, he's consistent in his ways. Therefore, you see the people in the Bible, when they knew parts of God's character, they appealed to that character because they understood this is the way he works. In Romans 8 and verse 29, connected with salvation, he says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. How do I get, you get, we get conformed to the image of his son? First is with the thinking. As a man thinketh, so is he. If I start slowly learning to think like God, my image, my inside soul, my spiritual image is being conformed to the image of his son. It doesn't matter, we all look different, we dress differently, all those things don't matter. Outward things don't matter. Because outward things will all perish. The skin will start having wrinkles. It will start getting gray hairs. And your knees and joints will all start hurting. Outward things will perish. But inwardly scripture says we should be conforming more and more and more to the image of his son. And it starts with the mind. It starts with the mind. And that is our first battle is here. Remember Sunday, first battle, Ephesians 6, 17. That is the first battle, put on the helmet of salvation. Here, your thinking cap, we say in English, put on your thinking cap. Here it is, says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I can never use this as a weapon unless my thinking is right. I'm holding the Bible And I'm thinking Shakespeare. It's not going to work. I am thinking the way the world thinks. I am thinking philosophies of philosophers and not the word. I'm holding this. It has no power to work in my life because my thinking is different. So scripture says this is where it begins. We know we are in a fight. But the question is, do we know how to fight? The tactic is very clearly shown. We know from King Saul, the first king of Israel. He's anointed. But like I said, anointing on an empty head or a vain head, puffed up head is dangerous or useless. Little later, this is what happens in Israel with a king with a vain head, big head, anointed, which will never happen in David's reign. What you see here, there was no blacksmiths to be found throughout the whole land of Israel for the Philistines said, look, remember, we have physical examples in the Bible, so we in the new covenant understand the spiritual implications. Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. What did they do? No blacksmiths. They gave an order to all the blacksmiths. What is that? When the Hebrews come, no swords, no spears. 
But all these rats would go down to the Philistine to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe and his sickle. What are these? Agriculture and trade implements. No fighting instruments. Blacksmiths are there. Israel, there are no blacksmiths. Philistine blacksmiths are there. Philistine blacksmiths have been told very thing. When the Israelites come, no sword, no spear. All other implements, okay. And the charge for, okay, let's leave that. So it came about on the day of battle, there was neither sword no spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. In the entire nation of Israel, Israel army, two swords. One with Saul, one with Jonathan. Yet, they didn't stop Israel from living. They said, bring all your implements to us and we shall sharpen it for you. What is that? Your agriculture and your industrial implements. What does it mean? The devil and the world doesn't mind you prospering. Because it helps them too. The Israelites will work hard and they will sow and they will water and they will grow and they will harvest. Philistines will come and take it. They want us to prosper. They don't want us to fight. Now we are talking spiritual. There it is physical. So the devil has very, very, very subtly changed the blacksmiths. So what do you have? You have churches which is talking full about prospering in this world and never have taught the people how to fight this good battle of faith against powers of darkness. So when the day of calamity comes, when the day of trouble comes, nobody knows how to react, how to fight, how to stand. So when a tragedy happens, people just fall apart. When problems happen in families, they just are crushed. When a death occurs, they are crushed. When a church is attacked, people scatter. Because nobody has been taught how to fight this spiritually. How to fight. You fail in your exam, you lose all your hope. We were never taught. or You were were taught. But I am saying generally speaking. That's the problem. That is what is happening. He wants them to work, but he does not want them to fight. But God says, everyone born of God is born into a battle. Battle against sin, battle against powers of darkness, battle against the system that entraps your mind. And on the day of battle, they were absolutely clueless. And they were just two guys with swords. And they are hemmed in from every side. Israel sitting They can't go to the left, they cannot go to the right, they cannot go to the front, they cannot go all surrounded by whom? Philistines. And they have just two swords. Yet 400 years ago when they began, the story was exactly the opposite, ulta. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, you know what it says? Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none got in. When the age of the apostles began and the power of the Holy Spirit came in, that's how they began. The demonic realm was trembling. Nobody got out, nobody got in because the apostles had hemmed them in. Today it's the other way. The church is hemmed them in and they're having a riot. Because we forgot how to fight. And God has actually said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the armies of the living God. The armies of the living God, like Saul and his army, is sitting there trembling, shivering, because they don't know how to fight. 
They know how to harvest. They know how to study. They know how to get jobs. They know how to get promotions. They know how to build hospitals. They know how to build schools. They don't know how to fight. But if you don't know how to fight, ultimately we will be overcome here. And whoever controls your mind, controls your body. The battle is for our minds. That's what I've been battling for 10 years, for your minds. You stare at me. I don't know whether I have your minds. You cannot break free unless you have some knowledge of God. That's why I said the the power of one thought which aligns with who God is. And Jonathan suddenly gets a thought which is godly. You know what he says? Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come let us go over to the garrison of this uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. One thought. Hey, I cannot sit like this. And I'm not going to tell my father. He's, he's not going to support me. He's not going to send anybody with me. He tells his armor bearer, will you come with me? We are just two. And there are hundreds. But God doesn't need numbers to win. If he's God, he's not dependent upon numbers. Will you come? One thought. One thought. Isn't that the servant of God? Hundreds of years ago, he heard a preacher saying, the world still has not seen a man who has been fully surrendered to God. This is a semi-literate boy who hardly had gone to school sitting at the back. And he heard that he said, Lord, I will be that man. One thought. What was his name? D.L. Moody. One of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. He, he, even till his last sermon was full of grammar mistakes. But that did not stop God from using his message to save millions. How did he start? Because in some meeting as a young boy, he heard the preacher says, the world yet has not seen a man who is fully surrendered to God. He heard that and he said, I will be that man, fully surrendered to God. The power of one thought that aligns with God. Because God is not dependent upon numbers to win. He's only looking for somebody who believes in me, who I am, that I am for you. Are you for me? That's all he's looking for. That's why scripture says, without faith it is impossible to please God. This young man had faith. And that was enough. Jesus said, if you have faith as little as a mustard seed, that is mustard seed faith. One sword, two people. Scripture will say, later we, if you have time, we will look how we won the battle and they killed so many people. He was killing with the sword and his armor bearer was killing behind him. I don't know with what he killed. Maybe with the shield was knocking them on the head. Because he had no sword, no spear. Two of them. Do you see what God is saying? These are physical battles, but we fight spiritual battles and that's what God is talking about. Throughout Bible, you will see Deliverance always or often begins with one thought or information or knowledge of God who is. God who he is. God who he is. He's looking back into the past of every victory God has given Israel in their history. And he's saying, God is still the same God. He is. He has not changed. We have changed. He has never changed. Therefore, he is. Anyone who comes to God must believe he is. For students, if you honor God with your mind and with your soul and with your body, he is 
still the God of Daniel. He will make you better than the rest. You have to believe. What he did for Daniel, he can do for me. It's the same God. That is where faith comes. Your exaltation with God doesn't come from hard work. Hard work is necessary. It comes from faith. And the hard work that follows faith. Not hard work at the cost of faith. Because there are more hardworking people in the world. And you cannot match them for their background, their intelligence, their knowledge, their skills. What, what you have is what they cannot have. You can have faith. You can have faith. And with faith, you can, every time you can please God. So we need information. If you don't have information, how do we please God? How do we even understand what is happening? That is the whole first thing is reading your Bible, knowing your Bible, getting to know this God, getting to know his ways. So faith is arising. When we hear about Elijah coming down from Mount Horeb and going to meet Elisha, scripture says over there, no? So he departed from there in 1 Kings 19, found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him, okay? Here is a young man, these are all young men. Here is a young man, he's plowing, 12 yoke of oxen, he's the 12th and he's plowing. And Elijah, the old man, is coming from somewhere down the mountain. Many months have passed by and he's coming down. And as he's coming down, he does one thing. He takes his old cloak and puts it over Elisha. What does scripture say? Elisha, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. The question is, if he did not know who Elisha was, and if he did not know what the mantle was, would he have that reaction? He had information. He had information. This is what every godly young man's dream was, the mantle of Elisha. If you don't have that information, why would you want to follow him? Would have said, what's wrong with this old man? His dirty stinking mantle over me. Would have thrown it and continued with your toe. And people do not have information. And people do not value that information. Therefore, when the call of God comes on their life, they pursue their career. Because they do not have information. What this call will mean eternity. Jesus told the young ruler, forget it, sell it all and follow me. Instead he turned around and walked away because he did not value what the call was. So you need information. If you don't have information, nothing is going to work. We need the knowledge of God. We need to know his ways and we need to follow that knowledge. In Joshua chapter 3 and verse 4, when a new generation is going to enter, scripture says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, that is the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Scripture is telling very clearly, Joshua is telling them, follow the Ark. The Ark will go ahead of you around 2,000 cubits, that's an ancient measurement, 2,000, because you don't know the way. But the ark knows the way. You have not been there. The ark has already been there. You have never experienced it. The ark has already experienced it. Why? God has seen the end from the beginning. So you do one thing. Don't worry about your future. Don't stress about your future. Don't worry about your enemies. Just follow the ark. Just keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus and follow the leading of God. Why? 
Why follow the ark? Because Exodus 25, where the ark is described, the making of the ark is described, at the end of it, God tells something about the ark. He says, there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. It is from there God speaks. It is from there that God guides So God is saying, follow. You need to have knowledge what you are following. Those subsequent generations, they did not have knowledge of the person represented by this ark or his righteousness, his holiness, his ways. They started attributing power to the vessel instead of the person the vessel represented. So when they carried the vessel without the person, they lost. Because they did not know the person. Not only did they lost, they were killed. Not only were they killed, the Philistines took the ark away. Because they did not know the person. Because the ark gets its significance because that is from where God spoke to Israel. So we need to realize there is a place in our life from where God speaks to us. He speaks to us from this. And we follow that. Because we don't know what lies tomorrow. We don't know what lies in 2019, but he knows. God has no beginning nor end. He has already seen the end of history as it is. Therefore, we can follow him. That is where it is found. So how do we know where to go? To them, God said, follow the ark. So it doesn't matter. Whether you know the place where you have to go. Whether you have experienced it before, it doesn't matter. He has already experienced it for you and me. You know, in chapter 3 and 4 of Joshua, the ark is mentioned 17 times in two chapters. In chapter 3 alone, it is mentioned 3 times. Sorry, 10 times. I want to look at 3 verses in that in chapter 3 and verse 6. And Joshua spoke to the priest and said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. Why? So that people will see the Ark and they will follow the Ark. 2,000 feet, let us in for terms of uh, understanding, 2,000 feet behind, they can, everybody can see clearly and actually it's a huge crowd of people. So the one in the front can see clearly, they follow, the others follow, the others follow. That's how it happens in the church. There are some who are in the front who see the ark clearly and the others a little behind and behind and behind. Everybody is following somebody. Therefore, to whom much is given, much is required because if I fall, you will all fall. If I take a wrong turn, you most of you will take a wrong turn. That's why scripture says in James chapter 3, 1, my brethren, many of you should never teach, should not teach. Because those who teach will be judged very strictly because I take a wrong turn from the pulpit. Churches will take a wrong turn to the from the pulpit. From other pastors will turn and congregations will turn because Everybody is not in the front where they see the ark clearly. Many are at the back of the crowd following others. So we all have a responsibility of keeping our eyes on those who are in the front. Because the fellow at the last row may be seeing nothing, just the back of the front before you. He sees no ark, he sees no 
priest. He doesn't know what's lying over there. He's just following the one before him. Therefore, it is important that every one of us are focused and keep our eyes. The ark went ahead of them. In verse 11, scripture will say, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. It went before. And the next verse in verse 14, scripture will say, So it was when the people set out from the camps to cross over Jordan with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant went before. That has to, God has to go before us. But if God is going before us, old or new covenant, we cannot be independent. Like I said, every true leader was once a true follower. Because only good followers will make good leaders. And many, many, many will be of you will be disqualified from being leaders because you never follow. Never follow. If I haven't learned to follow another man's leading who was being led by God, how will I lead myself? How will I lead myself? This is important. No, Elisha had to follow Elijah for year after year after year after year after year before the mantle will fall him and all the other sons of prophet will now start following Elisha for years. Like I said on Sunday, every one of you is a leader. Even if you are leading only yourself, you are a leader. So be very sure where you are leading yourself into. Just a difficult crossing. Verse 17 says, it's a difficult crossing. The priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood on firm ground in the middle of river Jordan. It's a very difficult crossing. Flooded river. Flood separates. Standing in the middle, one side dry, other side water stand. It's a very difficult crossing. But what you need to know is the ark of the covenant stood with them in the middle. You are not crossing alone. He is standing with you in the most difficult situations of your life. Until you cross over. That's why we keep our eyes on God. He's not saying do it on your own. He says I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you till the very end. The good times, the bad times, the worst of times, the most difficult of times. He says I am there with you. I will not abandon. But you, we have to learn to keep our eyes on him. Because he will not go where I want to go. But I can always go where he takes me. So it is, we are duty bound to keep our eyes on him. Because he's given us that free will to choose. That is how faith comes. This is all our learning process. This is what we are called to do. But to learn, like learn, no, to learn, there are certain things. No, remember? Old, old lessons. Your school started? Everybody's school started? Do you run into the classroom and your class starts? No. No, I've told you always. Before you can sit in the classroom, there are a few things. One, school will say reach on time. Two, you have assembly. Three, they will check your uniform. All this is part of preparing you to sit down and listen. We cannot just listen. We cannot just hear from God. There is a preparation that goes before hearing from God. And that preparation will go to hearing. That hearing should go to being. That being should go to doing. And in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, before even they start, God will tell them what they need to do. 
He says, sanctify yourself. God will do tomorrow a lot of things in your midst. But to receive it, you need to do something. You and I need to sanctify. John chapter 17, verse 17 in the new covenant, Jesus comes and tells us what? Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Do you know that the hearing of the word itself is preparing you to hear the word? Hearing of the word itself is preparing you to hear the word. If I had not heard from God in the subsequent the years in the past, in the 80s and 90s, I wouldn't be hearing so clearly now. What brought the clarity today is the word which I heard in the beginning. Believing that word. Practicing that word is what brought clarity here. Sanctification is a work which the word does, which the spirit does and the blood does. But here we are looking at the word. The word of God sanctifies us. Sanctify them by your word. How does it work? It works when we take the word and put it into practice. Like I told you in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, scripture says that he may sanctify and cleanse her, that is the church, with the washing of the water by the word. The word acts like Water. Water is not, two children believe, but it is not true. Water is not your enemy. Water is your, whether it is cold water or hot water, it is your friend. It is the enemy of the dirt on you. But sometimes children think water is their enemy. Water is not your enemy. The word of God is not your enemy. The word of God is the enemy of the wrong ideas in your head which lifts itself above the knowledge of the living God. But because you like those ideas, you are fighting it because those ideas have become your ideas. Now you are fighting against the word of God and God says, no one has fought me and ever won. Some ideas can become part of ourselves. That's why God tells Jeremiah, I have called you to uproot, pull down, then build. That's what's happening over here. The word of God is coming and it is cleansing. It is sanctifying. It is breaking down. You may think it's not happening, but in 10 years I know it has happened in almost everybody's head. If you have doubt, go to another church and come back and they will, or somebody from, invite somebody from another church and they will say, How can you sit for two hours? Everything in our thinking, our religion, which cannot be found in the word of God, put it on the shelf. Leave it there. Don't take it down until you find it in the word of God. Go to school, you go to college, you go to higher universities, they will teach you all kinds of things. Take it, leave it. If it agrees with the word of God, receive it. If it doesn't agree with the word of God, take it here, write it here, forget it. You can argue, you can contest in open society ideas, but don't believe it. If it doesn't agree with the word of God. We are only to follow the word of God. Why? Because sanctity brings clarity. 
where there is no sanctity, there is no clarity. The reason we are confused often is because there is not a sanctity of thought. We are not trying to seek the will of God in our minds. We are trying to bend God to do our will. So there is no sanctity. The minute you start aligning your mind and keep saying, Lord, let your will be done, 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 you will realize God starts speaking to you very clearly. That's what you experience by faith. When we obey God's word, we shall become strong. We shall become strong. In Joshua chapter 3, 8, scripture says, You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Those who know their God shall be strong. Who were asked to stand in the water? Those who bore the Ark. Meaning, symbolically representing, these people are bearing God, meaning they know God. And those who know God are not called to stand on the edge. They're called to stand in the water. Not stand in the edge, but stand in the water. Go stand in the river. Standing on the edge is not enough. Because many are standing on the edge, waiting for somebody to step in. Because they don't know God. They've heard about God from other people. They are waiting for that man to come and step in so they can step in behind him. But the miracle is not on the shore. The miracle is in the river. We wait for signs before we get on our, before we get our feet wet. Then we do not know our God. Problem is we cannot box God into our ways but only follow him by faith. In Isaiah 55 and verse 9, scripture says, My ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Put this together. God's ways and God's thoughts. God does the way he thinks. We do the way we think. As a man thinketh, so is he. Now all of you are not sitting here because you thought that way. It's because Elsandi thought for you. Which was very thoughtful. But one day you will be free. You will have your own job. You will move out. Or you will be moving out of this city. Maybe you will be in a college. No. That is when you will know whether your thought and your way tally. That's why Freedom is a very expensive gift. Very expensive gift. What will you do with your freedom? Often we do not see what God is doing because we are nearsighted. We don't see. The priest carrying the ark stepped into the water. What does scripture say in Joshua 3.16? It says, The waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap where? Very far away. Very far away. The guys are holding the ark and they are standing here. The water is flowing like this. The water stop miles and miles and miles where the eye cannot see. I and you stand by faith. 
But God is doing a work far beyond we can see. Because you and I do not see, it does not mean God is not working. So faith takes God at his word. Step into the water, you step into the water. And you don't see anything. But he's doing a work upstream. Doing an upstream. He's doing a work. You know? And it's called Adam. The city beside Adam. Where did sin begin? With Adam. So Lord, rescue me, Lord. I believe I am standing. God says I am. But I don't see anything. He says I'm going back into your past where your sin began. And I'm dealing with situations and putting things right. One day you will experience your deliverance because I have to go back into your past and put those things right. Wait. I'm doing it. Because you have to know me. I'm a God who is righteous. I cannot just push you across because then my righteousness is smart. I have to deal with things here. And I'm dealing with it. Putting it right. Putting it right. Putting it right. Soon you will see a ground and you can walk across. God is doing a work. That's why he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. All we can do is align our thoughts to him by faith and do what he says. And God says, you don't realize it. You are now thinking like me and doing like me. It will always bring results. All you can do is trust him and obey him. Jonathan, when he did that, he acted on what he knew about God. One thing. This definitely is not our destiny. We are not to be hemmed by the Philistines. The Philistines were supposed to be hemmed by us. How did we end here? When I look, there are only two swords. One is with dad. He's never going to come out. He's sitting there with 600 soldiers under a cherubim tree. And I got one and you are with me. Will you come with me? He said, Lord, wherever you go, I will come with you. Then he opens his mouth and says something. The Lord can say with few or many. That is the key that breaks through. What he said is true. God doesn't need many. If God wanted many, he would have chosen 12,000 disciples. No, 12. 12 is enough. One will go, 11 is enough. And this 11, chodkar, I will pick another one 12 years later and using him, who nobody will speak, pick I pick him and he will write one third of the scriptures. God doesn't think like us. He thinks differently. He's not dependent upon numbers. He's not dependent on power. He's not dependent on strength or anything. He does differently. And Jonathan got it. And he stepped forward. And scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 14, when he stepped forward, what happened? Jonathan climbed upon his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. Okay, you're going into a spiritual battle. Don't take it literally. This is literal. This has happened in history, but we are looking at how does it apply it to me. Put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit and pray all kinds of prayers. Get on your knees and your hands. That's where the war is fought. That is where it is fought. That is where it is fought. You win or you lose in your prayer closet. That is why that is the place the devil attacks most. He doesn't want you to read your word. He doesn't want you to pray. Because he knows if you get this together and start aligning it, you win, he loses. He got on his knees and his hands. After him, scripture says they fell before Jonathan. They're falling. 
And if your eyes were open, when we practice this, we will see powers of darkness falling before us. Principalities, rulers, demons falling after us. And what the scripture says, and as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And that, that first lot of which Jonathan and his armor man made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And then there was a trembling in the Philistine camp in the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. Another version will say God shook the earth. Because one man stood up in faith and said, Lord, I align my I, my mind with what I know about you. And I want to step out. Those who know their God will be strong. And they do great exploits. Those who know their God. We have to become what we know. Either way, we will become what we know. All of us are becoming what we know. Some of you are IT professionals. That is fine. That should be your job. But don't let that define your thinking. Some of you are on social media like half your life. At least be sociable. That's fine. But let your thinking be governed by the word of God. Always. Always governed because we are becoming according to what we know. So the question is, are we hearing? Are we becoming? Are we doing? The power of God in the Bible has many, 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 many words to describe. It's called the acts of God. It's called the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. But the question is, is he anointing on empty heads? Is he anointing on vain heads? Is the anointing on lazy heads? You know what lazy head anointing is? Lazy head anointing is the children who will not study through the year and an exam is coming would pray, Lord, pray for wisdom and understanding. That's the lazy head. They never receive grace, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. What they receive is called mercy. We should receive mercy for our sins. And we should receive grace for our daily life. We are not called to live on mercy, 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 mercy. Lord, I am lying on the floor. Forgive me. Forgive me. For God says, get up and when will you do something with your life? In my name. People confuse mercy and grace. Grace is the greatest thing that has ever happened in human history where the very power of God's own spirit has been released into the lives of people. God says, live by grace. Mercy is when you fall. But because you are in, people are in a constant fallen state, they're living in mercy. God says, no. Anointing was meant for heads, minds that were governed by the thinking of God. If you are a hard worker, with integrity, that's how God works. First day God worked and he said it is, Good. He worked hard and he liked his work. Did you like today's work? Can you say your today's work was good? Can somebody else say your today's work was good? God never lies. He's absolutely holy. He's absolutely righteous. At the end of the first day, he said, it's good. Every day, he said, it's good. Except for one day because of the darkness. Every day, he said, it is good. And finally, he said, it's very good. So he said, it's a worker with integrity. 
the doing part is a worker with integrity and it doesn't matter what work you are doing it's irrelevant with pastor vijay and we were discussing in the morning about what it is to become a lot of fathers over here you parent your child that doesn't mean you are a parent if you are a parent you can parent anybody's child if you are a teacher you can teach anywhere any situation your conditions does not restrain your performance because that is what you are jesus could teach the crowds in a beach he could teach on the mountain top he could teach down in the valleys he could teach anywhere because that's what he was but when you are not something which you are pretending to be you need all the setting that helps you because you are not that person so it is not your work it is becoming that worker of integrity becoming that worker that's what i keep telling students it is not your marks it's how you study that matters to god if you are not if you don't have integrity in the way you study god cannot prosper you because he says that is what you are in his father's house there was one man his father could trust for jacob that was joseph he was one of the youngest of his sons but was the only son he could trust that if i entrust something to him he doesn't need supervision he will do it more than what i expect can we be trusted scripture says from his father's house from the being the pet in the family the next day he sold as a slave but scripture says his master trusted him master trusted him he needed his pastor realized this guy doesn't need supervision why he's a different kind of a worker he's got integrity a very little while here the scripture is very clear i shall make you the head and not the tail it's god who does it though he has 12 son spiritually speaking the youngest one one of the youngest one is the head the only one the father will trust is the head he comes in has a young 17 year old slave to egypt a hebrew in egypt with a house probably with hundreds of slaves a little later this young little young 17 year old teenager is at the head of the slaves why he looks and says i can trust this dude he's trustworthy he's the head and not the tail in that house he is the head and not the tail of the employers from there for a false accusation is picked and thrown into prison a little later this hebrew boy who's a prisoner in the pharaoh's prison who are all the pharaoh's employees thrown into prison he is the head and not the tail why because he's got something in him he's a worker with integrity those who know their lord they will be strong and they do how you do matters those who know their god how they do things is different and it will be always recognized a little later he is standing before pharaoh a hebrew boy is standing 30 year old young hebrew man is standing before pharaoh and the pharaoh says you are the head and not the tail take charge of my country how do you do 
Doesn't matter where God has placed you. Spiritually, you should still be the head. It's not a, we are not talking about promotion. I'm not talking about pay rise. I'm talking about who are you spiritually there. Because spiritually to be promoted, only God can promote. And God will only promote those who think like him, act like him, and work like him. And it starts when you are small. You, not us. We did not know the Lord at your age. You guys know. You know so much which we did not know when we were 30 or 35 years old. You know so much. So you have an incredible, unbelievable start in life like Joseph and David and uh, Daniel had. You have that start because you know what they did not know. You have the anointing available which they did not have. You can be the head and not the tail. You can do greater exploits with Jesus' promise which other generation could not do because you have access to something which others in your age did not know. So don't take it lightly. All it takes is faith. All it takes is faith. That is where you position because the anointing falls on the head. No, now rainy season is coming, right? If you want to escape the rain and you're walking on the rain, you open your umbrella. If you open your umbrella, where should the umbrella be? Above your head. If you want to, don't want the rain falling on your head, the umbrella should be above your head. What if you hold an umbrella and walk like this? Does it help? Think. Where is the word? The word is here. And if the anointing is falling here, the anointing is falling here, where do I have to position myself? Underneath here. If the anointing is falling here, I have to position myself where the anointing is falling. God is not anointing you and me. He's not. Let me tell you very clearly. He's not anointing you. He's not anointing me. Because we are only the body. The head is Jesus. The head is Jesus. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. It is the head that is anointed. It is he who is anointed. And when the anointing is falling, our job is to align ourselves under the head. But we all have been given individual heads also. So this head has to align with his head for the anointing to flow and to work. Otherwise it will not work. It will not work. That is why scripture says, submit to God. Come under God. Come under this. All the fights and the struggles believers are facing is only with this. I don't like what Peter Anna says. That is not the truth. You don't like Peter Anna being the head. Why should I listen to him? I'm just telling an example for boys who are under Peter and or Sammy or whatever. That is the only issue. The issue is not what he's saying is right or wrong. I I want to be headless. That you find in chicken shops. That's what is happening in Christendom. Lot of headless people. Question is, who is your head? Who is your head? You can't be independently say that God is my head and I will not accept any head. The things like that don't work with God. To come to this level, I had to go under many heads. Some very nasty heads. To see whether I would stay under that head until he moved me. It's just my test. Joseph had to stay under his father's head. 
had to stay under Potiphar's head, had to stay under the jail warden's head, and finally stay under the Pharaoh's head. He stayed under many heads. None of the heads were really good. As soon as the father saw the coat, he decided my son is dead. He did not even send a search party. As soon as Potiphar heard his wife saying that, he forgot all his integrity, his work, and threw him into prison. Are you seeing? Who is your head? The head of man is Christ. The problem is when you have headship in your home, there is an anointing that automatically comes because of that office. But the problem is, what if the head is empty? And the head is vain or the head is lazy. You have abuse in the house. What if the woman refuses to come under the head? You have conflict in the house. What if the children refuse to come under the head? You have rebellion in the house. You will say, but I am an orphan. God says, I am a father unto the orphans. And a husband unto the widows. He says nobody is without a head. Nobody is without a head. He says stay under. Stay under. Because there are great exploits to be done. Great. You have to see that. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say that I am destined for greatness. Because my God is great. And it is his life that I love. Anything that you do is great if he does it through you. Because every work he does is great. But he has to do it. It can only come by faith. Faith comes from hearing. Those who know their God. Those who, even a little knowledge of that God. Blind but as a close. Blind but am sitting in the road outside Jericho city's gates. He heard Jesus was passing by. But he had knowledge of Jesus, which others did not have. If Jesus is the prophesied Messiah, then he is the son of David. And if he is the son of David, he is a merciful savior. So he opens his mouth and he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You can repeat somebody's. And God knows you are not. Canaanite woman said, Jesus, son of David, Jesus refused. <laughs> Pretending. You don't even know who David is. You don't even know the son of David. Refuse to answer. He's not going to respond to pretense. He's going to respond to faith that comes from real knowledge. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And scripture says, he stopped. He says, bring him to me. Isn't it interesting that God who is walking on earth knows who is a true Israelite and who is not from the voice? You are a Canaanite? You are a Yehudi. Yehudi can call me son of David. I will stop. You, I won't even answer you. Until she says, Lord have mercy. And then he says, okay. Get the knowledge of God right. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't say, Father, have mercy. You won't even answer your prayer. He says, I'm not your father, I'm your creator. 
But if you are a child of God, go to him boldly, confidently and say, Baba, I goofed up, but you are still my Baba. That's what he called them to say. Abba is our Hebrew word for Baba. Can come boldly anytime. That's the boldness of the prodigal son. The prodigal son knew his father better than the elder son who stayed at home. He says, my father, he may be mad at me, but I know he will take me back. I'm going back home. I am going back home. Because he had knowledge, something the other fellow did not have. Do you have the knowledge of your God? Because that will stand up for you on the hour of trouble. Do you know your God? For those who know their God shall be strong. That knowledge of God brings strength. And that strength will do exploit. Shall we stand as we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We continue to meditate upon your word. We continue to believe that your word will change our thinking. And I pray these young ones and the older ones, oh Lord, will grab hold of you by faith. There's so much to be done before you come back. So much to be done. And you need your men and women in every place on earth, every office, every workplace, every college, every school, you need witnesses. And I pray these ones, these dear ones will know their God and they will be strong and their strength will only increase with their knowledge and you will continue to do great exploits through everyone, Lord. We are not looking for fame. We are not looking for recognition. We are not looking for followers. We are looking to do your will. That's all we want to do, Lord. To do your will, finish our task, and stand before you with joy. And hear from your lips that incredible words. And I pray tonight, Father, anybody who is struggling with a situation, let them know you are there with them. They are not alone. You are there. The ark has gone ahead. The ark is standing in the middle of the river. And the ark will not move until we have crossed over. And you are standing and waiting for us to cross over. You are the one who is holding the flood back. The enemy would have destroyed us many times over. But it was you who has held the flood back. Because you want your children to cross over. And possess this life for which you came, lived, died and rose again, O Lord. We have a life to possess. A life to live out. A life to declare. And that life is what the people need to see, Lord. Because it is written in your word. In him was light. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. We live our lives. It is only darkness before men. We live your life. It is light before men. Help us to live your life, Lord. You brought us safely. I know, Lord, you will reach us safely. Take each one home safely, Lord. In the hand of the living God, rest upon each soul. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.